incomparable. Number 311, July 2016. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I am your host, Jason Snell, and we're going to do another Flashcast. This is two in a row. I tell people that we don't talk about movies that are currently in theaters because it's very hard to get a panel together to talk about movies that are currently in theaters. And yet we've done it two weeks in a row, so don't get used to it is what I'm saying. This may not ever happen again. But we are going to talk about Star Trek Beyond, directed by Justin Lin, with a script by Doug Jung and, uh, and Simon Pegg, your buddy, Scotty. And joining me to talk about Star Trek Beyond, the latest the the what is what is it i i lost i lost count is this star trek 13 essentially if you count that high boo bad omen boo joining me to talk about it <laughs> david lore hi hey uh we've got no ship no crew how are we gonna get out of this one uh we have a small crew a very ragtag group of uh of rebels down on a planet uh, and oh, including good. erica ensign hi i'm a ragtag rebel boo yeah there we there we go <laughs> And uh, Scott McNulty, of course, is here because I wouldn't talk about Star Trek without Scott. Scott, please state the nature of the medical emergency. <laughs> uh, still not wearing pants, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. What? What? Uh, okay, so Star Trek Beyond. It. It was. It's here. It's a. Uh, it's interesting. I've seen a lot of people. Uh, everybody was really negative after the trailer came out. Like, they're like, oh, well, Justin Lin, he's a Fast and Furious director. They're just going to give us an action movie. I don't know how long it's going to take, if ever, for people to twig to the fact that if you make a large budget uh, sci-fi movie that drops in the summertime, it's probably going to be a tentpole action movie, even if it's called Star Trek, because that's sort of the business that they're in. And uh, and so, you know, they, they used an action director here. I, I, uh, I, think, I think this was a pretty ambitious movie. I think there's a lot of action in it. I think they tried to do some stuff that was true to Star Trek. Um, let's, uh, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reverse everything. It's all going to be kind of topsy-turvy. I wanted to ask everybody just up front, uh, what were you, what, you know, walking, sort of walking out of your theater, your first thoughts? Uh, how do you feel this one rates in terms of uh, the J.J. Abrams Star Trek trilogy? Because uh, J.J. Abrams still a producer on this, even though he didn't direct it. And uh, maybe in terms of Star Trek uh, movies as a whole. David, what about you? I loved it. I I walked out of the theater ready to see it again. I know they announced the fourth one, and I, I want them to just let Simon Pegg do that one, too. Just let him write it. So where do you think it rates? Uh, well, I think it's, it's for me, it's the best of the JJ movies. And, and, you know, I think I have to see it again just to let it sink in, but it's, it's in the top third of all the Trek movies for me, I think. Interesting. I enjoyed it that much. Erica, what about you? Interesting that you ask for the walking out of the theater uh, feeling because, <laughs> because I was actually feeling pretty good by the time I walked out of the theater, but it took at least two three quarters of the movie to get me there so so yeah in the end I, I i liked the end of it um but i think when it comes down to the walking out of the theater feeling i don't think anything is going to compare with the elation of the 2009 movie which i saw with some of my deepest like geekiest star trek fan friends and they had been very worried about it and really enjoyed it so coming out of that was just like kind of a, a feeling of of great elation and this was this was fine it wasn't great elation and i am one of those people that actually enjoyed star trek beyond quite a bit or not Star Trek yet, I mean, um, Into Darkness quite a bit. So, I mean, if, if I am forced to rate them, this is actually at the bottom of my list currently. And Scott, what about you? 
Uh, well, when I left the movie theater, I was happy. I enjoyed the the movie. I also got a free movie pass for another movie, so that helps, Ooh. I think. But even <laughs> even if I didn't get that, uh, I would have been happy uh, because I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. Uh, and really, isn't that the whole point of going to a movie is to have a little fun? Um, unless you're going to like some Swedish movie or something. Because uh, no, <laughs> nobody has fun in Swedish movies, right? Take that, Sweden. Yeah. Oh, the you, seventh oh. seal is a blast. Are you kidding me? In IMAX? <laughs> and so as where I rank them, uh, John Scalzi posted something that I, I thought was interesting. He said he thought it was the best of the third Star Trek movies. Uh, of course, <laughs> you know, you're you're comparing it to Insurrection and Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. So uh, I think that that is true. It is the best I, of yeah. <laughs> of third entrance in uh, here, Star Trek here. franchises. I can go with that. <laughs> uh, I thought it was my second favorite of the J.J. Abrams movies. Uh, Star Trek 2009, I think, still beats it because, just like what Erica was saying, it was uh, so new and exciting to have a Star Trek movie again that wasn't kind of petering out because the last couple of Next Generation movies were not very good. Uh, so Star Trek 2009, I had low expectations, uh, but it blew me away. Um, Into Darkness was fine. I liked it a lot. Uh, but I, I didn't have... Uh, like I, I watched 2009 again uh, over the weekend to prepare for this podcast, and I was going to watch Into Darkness, and I just didn't get around to it. Um, <laughs> but I did like it. I like RoboCop, so thumbs up to that. <laughs> <laughs> Admiral Robocop. That's right. <laughs> I, I'm i kind of in the same camp as Erica here. I actually really liked Star Trek Into Darkness. Uh, and I while, I while I think it is telling that I have not rewatched Star Trek Into Darkness as many times as I have rewatched Star Trek 2009... And so as a result, I would certainly rate the the, the first of the J.J. The Abrams movies over it. Um, I don't think I would rate Star Trek Beyond over it. And I actually, it's funny because my expectations had been lowered somewhat by that trailer. And then they had been raised by uh, some of the good word of mouth that came out uh, as the movie was, uh, was, was arriving. And when I went to see it, what I found, I thought was something that was, has a lot of good stuff in it. And I want to see it again because I suspect that perhaps it just hit me wrong. And I want to, I want to give it its mm -hmm. due as a Star Trek fan. But at the same time, I saw a lot of flaws in it that made me think like uh, okay movie what are you doing right now and that's not a great that's not a great position to be in i think i, I felt like and we can get into this but i felt like the director um was really ambitious and his uh talent didn't really allow him to fulfill all of his ambitions i like i felt like his his reach exceeded, exceeded his, grasp. his grasp thank you mr writer man He's punching above yeah. his weight yeah i mean um, I, I love mm -hmm. that he I, I love the ambition of some of the visuals in this but i don't think they were executed very well so yes yeah, one yeah. of those things no, <laughs> note i i like i want simon pegg to write the next i didn't say anything about who should direct it oh well i, I thought it was uh it was, it was competent yeah, and I thought it was a very different feel to uh, the movies, right? So I know there are a lot of yeah. people on Twitter that I follow that are like, oh, it's not real Star Trek, whatever real Star Trek is. Yeah. Uh, and, <laughs> I don't and, buy and, those arguments either. Uh, I don't buy those the either. The sets aren't I'm, cardboard. Come on. <laughs> you could, I mean, you totally, everyone is entitled to their opinion, but kind of judging what real Star Trek is and what it isn't, I think, is completely bogus, right? Uh, and there are people that are like, well, it's not cerebral, so it can't be Star Trek. And then I think, really? Have you watched a lot of Star Trek? Uh, because uh, there are some cerebral episodes of Star Trek, but by and large, 
Uh, there are a lot that aren't. Uh, yeah, but action this, this, adventure more common. Really. Exactly. It's, but I thought this was so. J.J. Abrams has a very particular kind of style, and obviously the first two movies had that style. So this was kind of a refreshing new take on it. Uh, uh, very frenetic, which I think almost worked in some scenes, but didn't quite. I had trouble, and Jason, you and I were talking about this in uh, Slack. Uh, I had trouble sometimes knowing what I was supposed to be looking at and what was going yeah. on, yes. which is never a great thing in a movie, I think, uh, unless they're trying to confuse you, which I don't think they were trying to do here. Uh, but if they were, mission accomplished. <laughs> I hadn't thought about the not knowing what I was supposed to look at thing, but you're right. Now that you say that, I think that was one of my problems. My other problem was the camera movement. And mm-hmm. I I appreciate it when a director tries to go for camera movement because I think it can be really, really cool. But I felt like, well, you know how in classic classic Star Trek, uh, you know, the, the ships would only ever meet each other in two dimensions. And it was, you know, you basically get one kind of angle of the ships and stuff. I felt like like this was trying to make up for several decades of two-dimensional <laughs> stuff, all in one hour and a half movie yes. that was just, it, it honestly, it made me physically ill. And that has not happened to me since, I think, the third Jason Bourne movie. Those are the, These are the only two movies that have ever made me feel sick in the theater. Goodness. Wow. I saw it in IMAX 3D, so there was a lot to watch. I thought you were going to say there was a lot of vomiting going on around you. <laughs> I, I didn't see any vomiting, but. I think I, I think I, I don't want to say I was reading somebody's review, uh, a middling review of Ghostbusters, uh, where they said that uh, that they thought that Paul Feig just couldn't direct action. And I, I remember thinking after I saw Star Trek Beyond, like, I don't know, I felt like at least in Ghostbusters, there was a sense of geography. And I think with Justin Lin, I don't want to say he can't direct action because he can direct action. I think, though there's certain kinds of action that he's very good at directing. And when we see Captain Kirk riding around on his little motorcycle and stuff like that, I think that the geography makes sense. When people are fighting each other hand-to-hand, I think the geography makes sense. But once you get into those scenes where you're in space or you're in the uh, the Yorktown uh, starbase where they're uh, which I, I again I think the visuals of that uh, space station are stunning the idea that because gravity is artificial you can have different cityscapes sort of pointing at each other in perpendicular uh, directions and stuff I think that's great but I think in those scenes uh, he couldn't really get across the geography he was trying to convey and it ended up confusing in a way that even something that was trying to mess with your mind like inception um didn't it didn't confuse me in the way i I think christopher nolan did a much better job of keeping his uh filmic geography intact and i i just don't think that justin lynn managed it right i mean even even the fight scenes the hand-to-hand fight scenes for me uh they didn't land because the camera is continuously moving and zooming and cutting and twitching and shaking and jumping and swooping and you don't know what's happened until the fight is done it looked like they were choreographed very well. I mean, I fight choreography is something I pay attention to. Uh, but the camera work was insane for those. And, and, and yeah, especially the swooping, shaking uh, camera sequence, uh, camera in the uh, Yorktown sequence. Um, it didn't make me physically ill. Only, only Rainbow Road and Mario Kart can do that. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> it just, it was, it was too much because you couldn't focus on what was going on. You couldn't, I mean, even, even when the camera's doing the shaking, jittering thing, like, oh, look, see, we're, we're pretending it's cinema verite. It's not. It doesn't have to shake. You don't need that. Let the ship and the people shake. Keep the camera still. It's okay. You know, it's not a car. It's not the Fast and Furious. Um, so yeah, I I did not like 
any of his action direction for the most part. I I liked the concepts, I liked the scenes, I liked the the design of things. Yeah. But I did not think as soon as it went into the the full tilt action mode, I did not think it was very very effective. And, and maybe it's because he's used to you know Fast and Furious is Fast and Furious, but they're cars, right? It's two dimensions. Right. You don't really see a lot of floating cars flying around. There's um, there's gravity, exactly. And I think he just was trying to do a whole lot with this. He had a third dimension, and he was like, "We've got to use the hell out of yeah. this third and dimension." That's the ambition, right? I appreciate yeah. the ambition. Absolutely, but absolutely, it didn't come off. No, but I did like the Yorktown a lot. Thumbs up. I yes, love the I love the design. It's so beautiful. I I, I like those moments. I, I saw some people online complaining about the fact that uh, that uh, Starship emerges through water again in this. It's like, <laughs> didn't they? but but I thought that it was so, it was like so so perfect that it got to that point because we we had been led up to that point. I, I love the idea that not only are all those spaces perpendicular to each other because it's all artificial gravity anyway, so it kind of doesn't matter. But that you've also got little tubes that Starships come into and you can see them going by. I'm not sure how practical that is. Um, and I also have some questions about their defense which apparently is everybody sit inside and greg grenberg will look at a computer and tell you if something's happening just just trust i feel safer already if you've got millions and millions of people living in this in this shouldn't there be like federation starships all around and shouldn't they have like more guns and things on the outside to protect them and uh, apparently not apparently they don't but greg grenberg he's paying attention so there should be shields beyond the glass dome right you would think right um but they're really uh, expensive. I mean, it's pretty. It's but it's but it is such a super. Uh, I, I love the production design on this. Really, yes. I, I think mm-hmm. I think the, oh, the yes. ships look good. Um, I think the the Yorktown looks good. I love uh, a lot of the planet stuff. I like I like the Franklin sets. I think those are mm-hmm. a lot of fun. Oh, by the way, who would have thought that there would ever be like if you're a fan of Star Trek Enterprise, uh, this is as close <laughs> as you're ever going to get to an Enterprise movie. So I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> That's right. Soak it in, people. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, the Yorktown appeared early enough in the film that I hadn't been completely sort of turned off by the way that the camera was moving and i was just i mean that first (laughs) sequence there i was kind of jaw agape just in awe it was it was amazing i mean i had a thought like if the incomparable ever does a space station draft that may Uh be near the top of my list (laughs) because i want to go to there it's Mm -hmm. a beautiful uh, it's just a beautiful thing i i I think one of the things that film can do is make your jaw drop like that and have that moment of like i i can't believe what i'm seeing now and and i think that's pretty rare and i felt that that same way which is like wow this is like a real um fascinating visual from a star trek movie which honestly doesn't happen as much yeah. as i like star trek movies that you know jaw-dropping <laughs> visuals is not a thing that they tend to do and i was very impressed with that when i i went with um, my 11 year old and every time the yorktown came on screen he would lean over and say I want to go there. Where is that? Where can we can we go there? Where did they film that? I said, I yeah. think most of it is Dubai. not existence. <laughs> yeah. Just go to Dubai. It's just like that. It's Dubai. <laughs> just hit yourself in the head with a brick when you go to Dubai so everything's kind of fuzzy and then you'll think you're in New York town. And I I like what it kind of says about the, the this moment of the Federation where they could build something like this and they're just so confident in their technology, right? Because it's something crazy and you can't build something like this if you're not super confident that it will stay together, right? Because there are, there are buildings all over the place, spaceships are flying through it. It doesn't make any sense. But if you, it, it you know, the the parallel to the culture books is, is striking right. to people who have read the culture books and see this movie. Uh, and so I just thought, you know, this is. 
portraying a federation that is very confident in its technology. And then we see, obviously, later technology is uh, the Enterprise blows up, basically. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think there are elements of lots of other Star Trek movies in this movie in interesting ways. Uh, but one of the things that struck me was the story that is uh, really in uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture and also in Star Trek Two, which is the idea that, you know, Captain Kirk gives up his command and he becomes an admiral and then he regrets it because he wants to go and be a captain. That's his best thing that he can do. And in this movie, what we get is... Uh, we get Chris Pines, Captain Kirk, and they've been out there for for three years. So, I, which I thought was kind of clever because that's how long we saw the original Star Trek's five year mission was the first three years, right? And then it got canceled, right. and he's kind of burning out. Like he's he's just they've been doing this. He says everything is episodic, which made me laugh because <laughs> yeah, that would happen. Yes, You're on a TV nice show, touch. did you not know? And um, I, and I ripped my shirt again. And he's, I know, right? <laughs> um, and, and he's bur- he's burned out. And he, he goes back and talks to Shorey Agdashlu at, at at Yorktown, and she's like, "Well, we got your application to you know be a to be an admiral." Um, what so what did uh, what do people think about uh, about that storyline? And then in parallel, there's of course Spock dealing with his mortality, where we we get this stuff about uh, about Leonard Nimoy's Spock. Uh, obviously, a, a hat tip to Leonard Nimoy. We hear that Ambassador Spock has died, and so uh, Zachary Quinto's Spock is dealing with that too. Um, so, what did you think about those those themes? Because that's sort of the, the those are the character beats we get right at the front of the movie. Chris Pine felt the kirkiest, I think, of all of the of all of the movies up to this point. So, I mean, he I feel like he has sort of settled into the role, and I mean, I feel like the the friendship between all of these characters is earned at this point because they've got three years under their belts, as opposed to yeah. being all squished together and you know us supposed to think that yes, oh, this makes perfect sense after they've just met. Um, so, so on that level it worked but i just i don't know it felt very sort of dour and and kind of glum and i maybe it was just because the camera was making me sick but i (laughs) i kind of didn't care until we started pairing characters off and that was when i started being interested in the interplay between the characters again probably because their their friendship is earned by now but when it was just you know i don't really care about about captain kirk's man angst sorry <laughs> i just don't <laughs> well I, that that sort of lived in feeling for all the characters is part of why i liked this why i think i like it the best of the three just because they have earned it they have a comfort level with each other that they didn't have even in into darkness i would i would say and so yeah, it I mean it was it was a little dour in the beginning. That's a, that's a great word for it. Um but I think it's meant to be. I mean it is the, these are sort of like these momentous life changes they're thinking about and the, and Kirk and Spock haven't told each other what they're thinking about doing yet. Um but yeah, it is it is a little slow. Uh I think the scene with McCoy in the beginning where they're they're having a drink is is a little bit to try and lighten the mood a little, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> except they're except it's really dark and they're drinking while it's discussing death and uh you know but other than that it's pretty a bright light <laughs> and and i will i will say the 11 year old leans over goes why is dr mccoy searching chekhov's locker that's not very nice yeah and i was that's like yeah that's that's true fair enough 
you, you would think a, a good old Southern doctor would be able to get alcohol without relying on the Russian. I think that scene pays off some things with um, not only does it have yes. a resonance to, to the first two original Star Trek movies, but it pays off uh, what we've seen of Kirk's origin in the original uh, Star Trek 2009. Um and I like the resonance of that, that it's it's his birthday in Star Trek II. Captain Kirk is going through a birthday and regretting not being a captain anymore. And I, I mean, they, they know uh, Simon Pegg and presumably Doug Jung, although I don't know as much about him. Uh, they know what they're paying off here from like old Star Trek movies and new Star Trek movies. And I liked it. Although even then it goes on too long and it's and it's yes. too on the nose, especially that scene where he's like, I know your father bit the dust on your birthday. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we saw the movie, dude. We saw it. We, we know. We we got it, got it, yeah, got it. Scott, what what about you? What do you think about the about the Captain Kirk uh, uh, retirement uh, admiral stuff and the Spock stuff? So the problem here, uh, and I, we talked about this every time we talk about the new Star Trek movies, right? Is that these this crew doesn't have the history that the original Star Trek crew did, right? So they didn't right. do three years of the show, and then we have all these movies. We and, don't we don't have episodes that we missed exactly. that were totally episodic, but we didn't see. And the characters are younger, so some of it like. It didn't really make much sense to me that he would be a vice admiral, uh, other than the fact that he's super awesome. Uh, he seems a little young to be a vice admiral. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I thought it was clever that they compressed that three-year mission in the front uh, to, you know, that montage of boredom for Kirk. Uh, yeah. And we see the little aliens. And the little aliens, which They're I thought very was a angry. very funny scene. Yeah. Uh, that was nicely done, yeah. Yes. That they, at first they looked big, and then they were little, and they were uh, beating him up, and... He had to get out. Uh, it was funny. So I thought it was interesting. I mean, it's it's so there's a lot of shorthand, right? And as a Star Trek fan, I know the relationship, so I can I can fill in a lot of the gaps. So it worked for me, but I can understand how it's just kind of rushed uh, because they yeah. just don't have the time. They're, they're movies. They can't. You can't make. 18 movies before you can get to this plot right uh, now they have to because, they have to imply that we've seen three 22 episodes so 66 episodes three you know three seasons and now they're like remember how star trek had three seasons it's kind of like that but you just kind of have to take it uh, and right. the word and they're young so i you know is kirk is this kirk wanting to be an admiral that seems awfully premature because didn't he just graduate from starfleet <laughs> academy like right. four years ago yeah i mean yeah. he he seemed a little too young for that but again, one of the things I liked about this that the other two films just pissed me off is that he actually applied. He went through channels, right? He did it <laughs> yeah. properly. It wasn't like, oh, by the way, you're captain now. Oh, you can do this. In my head canon, uh, Shore Agdashlu, before, before Kirk ends up saving the entire Yorktown, which change, changes the... Uh, the the equation a little bit because it's like well thanks for saving all of us you saved millions of people um my headcanon is that what she was going to say is basically snap out of it i'm not going to make you an admiral you just became captain you're good at yes. it you need to you need yeah. to you need to not Cheers. be burned out you take a take a, some shore leave and get back right. to it stop being a man baby and that would have been a nice scene yeah but instead you know he saves everything and she's like all right you can be an admiral if you want whatever <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, yeah, never mind. I'm the but hero. I don't, but I don't want to be now, which is good because that. I mean, again, that's the that's the character arc they're trying to give him. It just it seems a little premature. And and yeah, the reason that I go with it is because I have seen all of those other movies. Um, I did like the stuff about his dad and the the whole idea of like, why did you why did you join? Because mm -hmm. he's yeah. not like William Shatner's Captain Kirk. He didn't join for those reasons. He joined for the dare that that uh, that Christopher Pike gave him in Star Trek 2009, <laughs> and that that part was. 
uh that part was interesting so but yeah it was it's dark and dour and then uh I do like their I do like how they try to give us a flavor of an episode at the beginning of this and Star Trek Into Darkness where there's mm-hmm. you you're catching them in, mm-hmm. in in the middle of something. I think that's good. Although I think that that was a problem that I had with it is I I've read reviews of this that say, "Oh, it feels like a like an episode." It's like, "Well, no it doesn't because they finish an episode <laughs> and then he gets and then they have this whole like we're going to send you on this mission and it turns out to be a whole grand conspiracy that threatens the whole of uh, of of Yorktown." And it's like that's not really a star trek episode a star trek episode would be that they would find the planet and it would be a trap but that's sort of not anyway it's a, it's a minor point but i felt like couldn't we couldn't we have just had them out on their mission having these questions why does it have to be we're going to you know get get waylaid from our mission and go in and have this movie at least the fate of the universe wasn't at stake and and one nice thing about the dour beginning is that it, it does have everyone a little off balance when they wind up in this trap and wind up getting split up into different groups. Um, because now they're, they're not just out of sorts. Now it's, it's not Kirk and Spock, is it? It's Kirk and Chekhov. It's Spock and McCoy. It's yeah. these weird combinations. So it's not even the best combination of the crew, right? Or quote unquote, the best combination. <laughs> and they wind up having to work through that through the movie, which was, I, I liked that. I thought that was yeah. A nice I disagree. Touch. I think it. I think it was the best combination. <laughs> that was Bones and Spock. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I, I know. I absolutely. They but they keep harping on you know. Oh, Kirk and Spock. Kirk and Spock. Yeah. No. I. I agree. Spock and McCoy are always the best. That one of the things that this movie does that I think very few of the Star Trek movies do well. I think about. You know, Star Trek Four does this a little bit. Star Trek Three does it a little bit, but they make an effort to have every character get some moments. And with seven characters, it's a it's a tall order to get seven of your characters and give them things to do that are interesting. And that not everybody's going to get to do a lot, but everybody gets to do something. And by pairing them and grouping them the way they do, it it, it gets to be. I mean that that's a good way of doing it. It's a, it's a, a, a not a bad conceit to give them all a little moment in the sun because if it's seven people standing on the bridge of a space ship um it's it's not gonna happen right but 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 they split them up that said splitting them up really i felt slowed the movie down because we kept on having to go from pair to pair from group Mm -hmm. to group and and that's when the movie felt like a sort of ground to the halt Uh, and we skipped over the enterprise getting blown up by the way which we should probably (laughs) mention but enterprises get blown up all the time right and i thought this was i thought this was a clever way of doing it right with these little little ships that smash it into little pieces and i didn't understand people were like oh they're blowing up the enterprise it's uh how could they do this and i was like they do it all the time all the time it's <laughs> it's not a shock even in the third original movie they blew up the enterprise so it's not like it's a shocking thing Mm-mm. although this one i think may be among my favorite uh enterprise blowing up scenes yes i had to close my eyes for a lot of that scene because that was that was that was pretty much where i lost yeah. all uh, ability to pay attention to the film for quite a while simply because i it was very very hard to physically watch a lot of swooping a lot of shaking mm-hmm. uh, the swooping is is some of the geography stuff that i i, I had an, an issue with is that i get what they're trying to do but i felt like it, it was it was too much and to i think david's point too, the shaky cam stuff it's like i'm not sure you needed the shaky cam with yeah. the swooping and the changes mm-hmm. in perspective all at the same time well but it's like you know that's what we got what what is what is kirk doing where is he what's going on where is uhura why are they splitting off the saucer it's pretty much going to go down on the planet anyway 
what are they doing? Which which part is flying away from what? It's mm-hmm. like what are I you didn't doing? even realize. I, I there's like a major plot point: the fact that uh, was it Bones had already. Um, flown one of the little alien vessel things uh, and that's why he had to go along i didn't realize until they got back in it towards the end of the movie that that's what they had been in in the first place i really had no idea right no i got that and the idea was that they were separating the saucer so that they would have enough impulse power to go back in the nebula and hide and run away and call for help uh but it was it was all yeah it was all very quick it was that that was that was something i figured out a few minutes after it started it's like Mm -hmm. oh oh impulse power of course and but yeah it was just yeah that part i got i just didn't get the the alien ship part there's a lot happening so um let's let's see what else we want to talk about we should talk about uh we should talk about jayla who um scotty finds on the planet yes she i thought she was i thought she was fun in the trailers i was like oh no it's gonna be like primitive woman on planet falls in love with captain kirk and all that and no she was a very capable person and they sign her up for starfleet at the end she's great yep i i hope she's in the next one yeah actually yeah. i would like to watch Honestly. her show like please yeah. just do a spin-off with just her adventures and of jayla starfleet engineer yeah i would watch the heck out of that yeah she's a little like leela i i picture erica yeah. there's some doctor mm-hmm. who for you there she comes oh. from a savage land but now she's Only with among a less all obnoxious the... costume yes this is true I could also go with Futurama, Leela. I love, uh, I love the fact that she's got she she says, "Well, I know your language from my house," and we go back there, and this is the reveal. I wish again, I wish it wasn't spoiled for me because it's a pretty fun reveal where she's actually been living in a Federation starship. Yeah. She's rigged it up so she can listen to music from the from the music music data banks. She's trying to fix it, and she runs into Scotty. What are the chances? So she brings <laughs> Montgomery Scotty back to fix the spaceship. But it's a it's a fun moment and it's a fun reveal. And she's you know she's she's. Her her character flaw is basically that she's afraid because they killed her family and and she has to get over it and trust and there's some trust issues she has to work out but she's never anything but capable which is uh, which is fun yeah refreshing actually yeah I, I like that there are no damsels in distress basically mm-hmm. yeah I agree I mean like Uhura Uhura is the one who basically lets Captain Kirk escape. And, and she makes that move after she's punched a bunch of crawls guys. So she ha- she has a moment. She's not she's not uh, uh, waiting, you know, hiding from the fight. She's in it, and she basically saves Captain Kirk. Uh, we get Shora at Dashlu as the admiral. So we've got a woman in a position of authority who gives dispenses some some wisdom and advice to Captain Kirk. Um, I, you know, it, it, by the standard, it's not it's not a lot. But by the standards of these Star Trek movies, it's yeah. it's better treatment of women than they've than they've done when like poor Carol Marcus was uh, in her underwear for no reason, for example. Oh yeah, I mean, as much as I I did enjoy Into Darkness, that that was you know besides besides the the that naked moment, but just like seeing all the white guys in charge of Starfleet, I was like really. So so this this did have a leg yeah. up there. As much as I enjoy blondes in their underwear, I didn't need that in Into Darkness. No, it was not necessary. <laughs> no, and you're right about that. The admirals in Starfleet are all white guys. So here we go. We've got Shurag Dashlu as a as Commodore, admiral. She, Commodore? Commodore, whatever she is, she's in charge of uh, stuff. Yeah, Commodore. That's, uh, that's good. Because he always calls her sir. And I was like, what is her rank? Tell me yeah. or something. <laughs> <laughs> I need to know. Sure, Nobody has say. little epaulet she's things. Vice, <laughs> vice Commodore. I don't know. She's just undercover from the other universe of the Expanse. That's all. Yeah. Ah, I see. That's so she it. works for the UN? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It could be. Uh, United Earth Space Fleet. Uh, um, okay. Let's talk about crawl oh crawl our our uh, our villain 
Krull, played by Idris Elba, the great, the great Idris Elba, who is, for the first half of the movie, completely unrecognizable, and in the second half, mostly unrecognizable. <laughs> I didn't actually realize it was him until the credits, and I knew going in that he was in this movie, I had just forgotten. And I knew the twist before going into the movie. And of course, yeah. going into the movie and watching it, I'm like, oh, of course, yes, I win. You would have figured out. The I would have figured it out anyway. Because I, I did. I did. And because I was like, okay, they're, they're, I mean, to their credit, it took me, you know, until they, they, they showed the video of the, the shaky, fuzzy, and you didn't see all of it video of the crew of the Franklin. Right. And right. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is probably means yeah. something okay it's not yeah. probably not just there because we're supposed to be wistful about the poor people who died a hundred years ago that's okay probably right. probably which actually reminded me of star trek insurrection right where it's uh people who yeah. are now really old much older than they should be but they've unnaturally mm-hmm. kept themselves alive but now they don't look like they used to look they look horribly disfigured and stuff it's like oh that's crawl it's the same deal he, he may have right. f murray abraham's little machine for all we know his little Aww. face stretching machine but he doesn't yeah. have the, the the facial masseuses. That's true. He just that's has the. True. That's why he's got the bumps on his face instead. Oh, no, ma- needs... no masseuses. <laughs> I exaggerated a little bit. I, I did recognize it yourself before the credits, but it it just Barely. yeah. He was he was so so covered up that I mean I'm I'm still a little mad at myself for not recognizing his voice because I like it was one of those things where like I know this voice why can't I place it just because I was on the spot and then by the time that he was revealed I was like. I almost feel like I've wasted all of this time just trying to figure out who that is under the makeup. Yeah. And that was it was a distraction from in well, from tolerating that character who I just didn't care about to start with. <laughs> I feel like it was a mistake to make him so alien because yes. it's Star Trek. We would have given them a pass if it looked like Idris Elba with some bumps and stuff. We would have been <laughs> like, Oh well, you know, it's Star Trek, they're making him an alien. Yeah, but then you don't get the twist. Well, no, I think you would still get. I think you would still get the twist, right? I think. I think you, you wouldn't know who he that. is at first. Yeah, because he, mm-hmm. he doesn't. He doesn't really say his name for most of the movie. Right. And then you know, not to get too many Chekhovs in here, but when they first get into the Franklin and Scotty goes, "Oh, this was Captain Baltazar Edison's ship. He vanished, you know, a hundred years ago." And I went, "That's Chekhov's mention of who Crawl really is," because that's <laughs> you know, why is he saying that in the middle of this scene? It has nothing to do with anything. Oh, we're going to meet Captain Edison. So other Chekhov is what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Chekhov's Play, Chekhov's Chekhov with an H. It's Chekhov all the way down. All right. Chekhov with two H's, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Well, there is definitely a uh, a lot of economy going on that like everything we see is important, which on one level, I mean, I appreciate that they set it up. But on another level, at some point, if there are no red herrings and there, if there are no like interesting details that don't matter, you realize that it all kind of like everything it only exists in order to service the plot. So it's like, oh, we saw the Yorktown. It must be under siege later because why would we see it otherwise? Right. And then like every right. character becomes relevant uh, in in some some specific way um which i would i you know again i find i find that a little a little disappointing but i love idris elba i i don't really understand other than for the machinations of trying to fool the fool the viewers that he's got his little machine that makes him less bumpy um <laughs> sometimes 
I don't know. He's a, he's a good actor, and I like the idea. I like the idea that a, a, a former like Earth Marine put into Starfleet, kind of against his will, uh, gets lost in a wormhole, and basically, like sort of like like Khan being stranded on SETI Alpha Five, gets all uh, you know just become so embittered by how they've led him here that he finds this hate for the for the Federation. I I can accept all of that. Um, but the details kind of like the fact that he's on a planet with lots of mining stuff, boy, mining stuff is dangerous, by the way, in Star Trek, watch out for it, <laughs> mm-hmm. that he's got, he's able to tap into the communications of Starfleet, that he's close enough, apparently, to Earth now that he can, he can be right on their borders in this nebula. Um, I don't know. I, I the more I started to think about it, the more that I realized <laughs> that it was, it was way too engineered for something that probably could have worked if it was simpler. And the the mysterious weapon that just happens to be floating in space in a place where he was able to get part of it, but not all of it, and then Kirk happens to end up with it on the Enterprise. I, that that all I know, seems which again very would be a fun convenient. a fun plot when it was like an ancient weapon from our culture, but instead it's like he's just a dude from Earth who's been like looking on eBay for them to sell the <laughs> the cover to the box to the murder weapon. I, I just well, uh, but it's, yeah, it's it's the thing that he was trying to give the aliens in the very beginning of the movie. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and it was given to them as part of this peace mission. So it's not it's not like he just sort of lucked into it, right? But yeah, it's it but is. How a did it get convenient. from point A to point B? That's the thing. Well, like, yeah, that, that's did. a yeah, huge coincidence. I, I think there were there were a few too many things that got sort of trimmed to say, hey, we need more action. Let's take mm-hmm. out a little of this detail. We don't need this detail, but we need the character stuff. I loved the character stuff. I loved that it did yeah. take its time with stuff. Yeah, crawl's just too complicated. Yeah, I mean, if, if you if you need that much detail to explain crawl, simplify crawl. Right, right. <laughs> well, it, yeah, it, it, exactly. And and they just took away too many little details. Like for instance, I had no idea how he was supposed to be making himself look that way, and how he managed to change into mostly human by the end. And now I've seen it explained. Well, he yeah he he sucks the life mm-hmm. out of. Uh, Right, out of right. uh, Starfleet well, people. That I got. But part of it is that he supposedly absorbs part of them them into him and that alters his appearance throughout. Yeah. I didn't I didn't notice that up until the last scene. Uh, so now I want to see it again to see does he really change through the whole movie? Does he look a little different after yeah, he changes thing? a couple of times. Mm-hmm. One of the things that that I really liked about the the trailer and that I, I actually was disappointed in the movie was I really like the idea where where Carl says what if, this is where the frontier pushes back right yes. I like the idea like Star Trek is going to say what if there's an alien race out there that that is like doesn't like the Federation doesn't like the idea that everybody's trying to be friends that they are they want to you know they they don't want this they want to upset it in some way I, I like that idea it's completely undercut because in the end it's just a guy from the Federation <laughs> who's mad at it because I mean he's not that different from nero sorry nero's really boring he's more interesting <laughs> oh, than nero but still in the end it's just also like a, a madman bent on revenge again <laughs> again y- using mining equipment to destroy using mining equipment <laughs> in the end that he's he's scared of the frontier he's scared of the unknown and that's what sort of pushes him too well, he's not he's not he's he's not scared of it mm-hmm. he wants to beat it up he's a warrior well, yeah. right? and he's annoyed that the federation has turned it he has earned everything in his life is about battles and winning and the fed all of a sudden the federation comes along and we're like hey kumbaya uh let's all yeah. explore and we're not no more warriors. money 
No more money. Everybody's cool. Here's a ship, man. Go look for cool stuff and come back if you want to. You have five years. Uh, and it's just not what he wants to be doing, clearly. And then yeah. they, don't, they don't rescue him. And so he's like, look, I did everything you wanted me to do, and you stuck me here, and nobody's coming to rescue me. So clearly, the obvious thing for me to do is to take all this mining drone equipment, uh, make some kind of ridiculous plan to get a super weapon, and kill millions of people. Yeah. You did. You brought it on yourself, Federation. <laughs> you guys are not making me feel better about this movie. <laughs> well, I, I, I can say I can. There are a few things that I liked. I actually quite liked the uh, the reveal of Sulu being gay because I felt like that was handled. It was so low key and so sweet, and they didn't like hang a lamp- lampshade on it or anything. They just, you know, it was like this. Here's a moment where we need our our you know main hunky character to to look at a family and be wistful. And they just chose to have that family be you know two dads and a kid. I was like, that's that is a nice way to do that. That's right, and that dad is Doug Jung, who is the co-writer. Who is the co-writer really? of the movie. I yeah, yeah well, appar- apparently the, the actor they cast uh, fell out at the last minute, and so they're like, Doug, guess what? He's <laughs> like, all right. Get okay. in there. He said, actually, over the interview I read with him, his response was, I don't think I'm attractive enough to be John Cho's <laughs> husband. And they're like, just put on the put on the outfit, dude. Just don't worry about it's, it. It's don't the future. It don't worry. Much. It's the future, man. There's no money, and it's all cool. Your character's personality. It's great. <laughs> Really great. Yeah. I I liked a lot of the and like I said I liked the, I liked the look of it I liked uh, I, I liked uh, a bunch of the scenes I like a lot of the character interactions I, even some things that from the trailer I thought come on like uh, like the motorcycle I thought the motorcycle stuff was fine again they set up Jayla's little hollow emitter thing where she can be in three places at once but but the other two are holograms they set that up and then they paid it off her mist that turns into rocks or whatever that yeah. is. Yeah, which I like, which, which is funny. A lot of funny dialogue when the, when people are getting rescued. Great stuff with with Spock and McCoy, where Spock is injured and McCoy is mm-hmm. taking care of him. All oh, of that, that stuff was, was really good. Yeah, honestly, when it was when it was Spock and McCoy or Scotty and Jayla, Jayla. I was I was happy. Uh, pretty much anybody else, I was kind of like, can we please go back to the characters back, I'm excited about? Those, those guys. <laughs> I for for me this this was the first time I really bought all of them as their characters. I mean I enjoyed mm-hmm. I enjoyed 2009, don't get me wrong. I have a lot of problems with it. I have a lot of problems with Into Darkness and the more the more times I watch it the more I dislike it. This was the first time I I've really bought all of them as their characters. Mm-hmm. And and so those those interactions did have a little more weight to them. Like I don't I don't know that they could have gotten away with some of that Spock and McCoy stuff in 2009. Because right, right. it isn't earned, it isn't there. Whereas this, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's see, that's part of what I enjoy. I'm I'm willing to forgive certain plot shortcuts to get the rest of this, which I didn't see in the other the other two. No, I I get that. I mean, I I think that I think that there are lots of things wrong with the plot and the villain, um, and some of the direction. But the character stuff is is good and fun, and I, I can see why people say things like it's like a Star Trek episode, or it reminded me of the original Star Trek in that way, which is which is you get the sense that they've they these characters have been together a long time. The actors have earned the shorthand of thinking about the the not just the relationships in these movies, but the relationships 
these characters had in the past movies and TV show, you get you can kind of extrapolate you grant it to them and and they use that and they show you their character they they know each other and that they've served together and that gives them license to have those character moments that are all you know all fun i think i think it's amazing that in this third movie they take the time to do what they felt like they they needed to do for fans in the original star trek movies because you know we had those those 70 odd episodes of the original star trek that everybody watched for 20 years that's what they were servicing here it's just the third movie but you know the casting was really good in star trek 2009 and they've kind of earned it at this point yeah and i mean at, at the end when when spock is going through uh, Ambassador Spock's belongings, and he opens up that picture, and and it's the oh, original God. cast. And I I I teared up. I yeah. oh yeah, I teared up. There was somebody sitting behind me who was literally sobbing. Oh. Like, sobbing. I believe it. There were several people. I believe that. It. And and you know, I didn't I didn't think they were going to go there. I didn't think it would hit me like that once I realized what they were doing. And and the weight of it, I've seen I've seen a couple of people and a couple of critics complain about, oh, you know, why is Spock mourning Spock? That's kind of it's not like they hung out all what? the time. I know. Do these people not have hearts? It, well, it's, it's not just that he's confronting his own mortality. Although it is that. It is. <laughs> it is. Here, here is me and I have died. <laughs> or even that, you know, here is this much older version of him who has had all of these amazing adventures and done done all of these things to change the universe and save the universe. But he's also confronting the fact that it's this this family of seven, right? Yeah. This crew of seven that's stuck together through everything. And that, you know, and just that beat was beautiful. And and you know, and I and even in the moment I thought back to the the part of Into Darkness where Kirk dies and Spock looks at the sky and goes, Khan! Which isn't earned in that movie. Not, it not has, the best moment in that it movie. It doesn't make any sense <laughs> no. except, you know, if yeah. you know Wrath of Khan. And and this was the complete 180 from that. This was a beautifully wrought moment, and uh, just just that they were able to do that and pull it off, I thought it was very nice, and it was very understated too. That's the other thing I liked. A lot of the interactions were very understated. They weren't like, "Hey, look at us." Also, no lens flares. <laughs> very few. Very few lens flares. Although uh, I was uh, seeing a conversation on Twitter earlier, some of the special effects are are kind of shaky. Yes. Um, <laughs> they didn't use ilm for this movie um and uh it, it shows it shows <laughs> it does once again they you know they sort of cheaped out on the star trek special effects in there there's some good stuff the the yorktown is beautiful um yeah. there's some weird stuff um i know joe Steele, our friend uh who is reviewing this movie on defocused so look for that um was talking about how he doesn't love there's that perspective shot where you're looking at kind of like the the uh, the neck of the of, that connects the two sections of the enterprise and that's what you're watching when it goes into warp which is a weird angle and i don't yeah. think i like it and that the uh that the warp uh, the warp drive effect is also kind of strange and um i i agree i don't think those work particularly well that said i really do like the swarm of ships um mm-hmm. attacking the enterprise and destroying it i think that looks really good and is not something that i feel like i've seen before so i think they're good there's good stuff too oh yeah during that sec- during that part i was i was thinking of of nothing so much as more than one D campaign being attacked by a swarm which are my least favorite thing to be attacked by <laughs> scott don't listen 
Don't listen. Oh, no, I, I didn't hear a word. <laughs> and yeah, so I was just, I actually did sort of feel their frustration um, more than I think I would have otherwise because, yeah, fighting a swarm is really hard. So I, you know, good for trying, Enterprise, but there's nothing you can do. <laughs> there's nothing. And yeah, the moment when, you know, so you're watching that and you think, oh, they just want to destroy the Enterprise. And then the moment when they start attacking the, the lifeboat ships uh, was... Uh, I was like, oh, no, what are, they, what are they doing? And I guess they're just capturing them for some unknown yeah. reason. I don't know why they were doing that. To use to keep the crew so they could drain them. And, I guess so uh, they can suck their life batteries. out of yeah. them and get the the thingy. Because yeah. so yeah, Crawl has been Something. reading everyone's logs so he can somehow I guess. know what's happening. I don't know. It doesn't make much sense. But Now, one, one shot I did really like was where um, I guess it's when Kirk ejects from the saucer and the saucer keeps going forward and you just see his reflection as he's watching yeah. the ship that was very mm-hmm. nice and I'm, I'm i'm usually reflection shots are, are are a gimmick so it takes a lot for me to like one i liked that one yeah i thought that was good i also like when they crashed the saucer which brought back yes star trek oh, generations to yes. me i like that because it, it felt very final and then they go back there <laughs> I thought that was really and, funny. And, yeah. Flip it. And, and smush someone with it. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was really great. That, that that's like, oh no, it's it's yeah, it's crash. We're gonna go back into the crash and and get some stuff and smush the lady who doesn't who has to be, speak through the translator. Which I like that part. I, the smushing I liked, but having the the translator, <laughs> I liked the the part where she had to step into like the universal translator booth or whatever, and then they yeah. had to give her a little thing. I liked all that. Yeah, yeah. and I I liked I liked that subplot too of of showing kirk thinking a couple of moves ahead he's playing mm-hmm. three-dimensional chess which you don't yeah. often see in these movies certainly yeah there's that nice moment with uh so so chekhov's interactions in this movie um are very much sort of like watching kirk work and there's a nice moment where he says how how long did you know <laughs> and he's like, well, not right away, but you know, and Kirk kind of like works, tells him like how he figured it out. But, uh, I, I liked, I liked some of those moments too, where it's that kind of mentoring thing. Of course, it's very sad. Anton Yelchin died. Oh, then, you know, this is it. This is it for Chekhov. He, you know, he did a good job. He, he's doing what I think was fundamental about Chekhov in the original series too, which is that he's very young and has a lot to learn. He's very capable, but he has a lot to learn. And here he's sort of learning about being you know being a, a commander and 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 the tricks that captain kirk has and i liked that pairing i thought that was an interesting little uh little pairing between those two um oh i wanted to mention the other thing that i i that i saw in the trailer that made me roll my eyes that i actually uh you know that that and people after they saw the movie were, were talking about that i really liked <laughs> which was using the Beastie Boys. Yes. Uh, Uh, yes. Oh, yes. It was broad and it was silly, and yet I felt like it was properly set up. The fact that that Jayla is listening to Fight the Power earlier, and Scotty Mm -hmm. Mate talks about the classical music and all that, and she says she likes the beat and all of that. And, And again this is a movie where every single thing that you see is set up for later in the movie. <laughs> it comes back around. Yes. But the fact that they know that it's funny and that, the, and that she picks sabotage and that Kirk goes, huh, good choice. And it's like, is that classical music? All of those jokes. And that, that, that they have to use the radio pulse to disrupt the things. I know it's silly. I know it's very, somebody said very, very much like a doctor who plot resolution. Yeah. But you know what? I felt like they set it up properly and it just made me, I, I just enjoyed it. I, I didn't, oh, yeah. I didn't roll my eyes. I wasn't cynical about it. I was like, you know what? It's sabotage again, like in the first movie. And it's funny. And let's do it. Like, the Beastie Boys win. Okay. 
to exactly. to me that retroactively makes it work in in 2009. I didn't like it in the 2009 when I was like, come on, this is stupid. <laughs> and this this makes it pay off. This is a beautiful use yeah. of it. And I mean, I I think I said in Slack, it's almost like a, a throwaway gag from Spaced come to life. It's like, you know, what if the Enterprise had to, you know, fight off a thing using radio and and they used rap, something rap. Yeah. Um it just seems like a joke Simon Pegg would have made years and years ago, and now he gets to actually make it happen. And I, I liked that. I, I thought that was great. Yeah, that that scene actually it it kind of won me over. At the beginning of it, I was not I was not on board simply because the way that everything was put together, it was like this is supposed to be a really fun scene. Like you're supposed to go along for the ride. And at that point, I kind of hadn't been having a lot of fun through the rest of the movie. So I was like, you haven't earned this film. Like why am I? Why should I be having fun? But, but the music you have failed and, to entertain me. <laughs> but the music. And and just the, the way everything had been properly set up, at least for for, for that particular part, uh, it sort of I, I couldn't help it. I ended up I was smiling by the end of it, and I, I liked it in spite of my in spite of myself. So so yeah, it 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 took a couple of of seconds for me to sort of settle into it because I was like, wait a minute, what are you trying to do to me, movie? But you know what, it did it to me. So there you go. <laughs> There's some there's some joy to that scene, right? Like they're they're kind of mm-hmm. they're kind of moving to the music, and they yep. are doing their job, and they are beating the bad guy, and they have figured it out, and they're smart, well, and they're going to win. All of those things happen in that moment, which is which is what really gets me on its side too. Is like everybody's having a good mm-hmm. time beating the bad guy. Yeah, let's do this. We're all having a good time now, and they figure it out as a team. It isn't just Kirk right. or Spock, which is a nice mm-hmm. touch. It's right, like they right. all they all realize this and they put it together together, which that was very yep. nice. Now, once once they get into the Yorktown and, and especially once they get to, you know, because you have to have the fist fight. Um, I thought I, I did think the setting of the fist fight was clever. I kind of liked having, you know, a clear room and, you know, in the middle of space whatever weird gravity in the air stuff. the weird yeah, gravity i like the weird gravity a lot you know yeah. again it was a clever concept was it shot well i don't think so i fundamentally i have a problem with uh, you know the macguffin it is such a macguffin like to literally to the point of we have a box that if you open in this room <laughs> yes. it will kill everybody um it's just you know i don't know i, I like you said there's got to be a fist fight at the end i guess i had that moment in this movie where i thought oh I think the problem with this series is that they all they all it all lasts one confrontation too long. Like in Star Trek Into yeah. Darkness, if they had ended it where they defeat the the uh, the big ship and Khan's ship crashes the end, mm-hmm. that's a or, or or Khan's ship is blown up and that's the end, I think that's a better I think that's a better movie. Um <laughs> and I think in in this movie, when as much as I like the look of the Yorktown stuff, I felt like they had already earned their victory, and so now what are they what are they fighting for? It's that double ending again. And as much as I liked the stuff in the uh, in in the Yorktown much better than I liked the fist fight and stuff on Earth in Into Darkness, it still felt like it was one too many things. It's like let's do the end of Into Darkness, maybe a little bit more interesting, but it's still the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, M- McCoy and Spock were flying around in that little ship 
while the whole climax goes on for a very long time without yes. landing it anywhere. <laughs> well, he did say he didn't know how to land, so I figured he <laughs> so was I guess just, 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 just So he did a couple of circuits of the I whole can't place. Land. Exactly. And that place is really big. Yeah. I was waiting for him to splash down or something, but no, he had to save save Kirk in the end. What have we not covered that that uh do you think we should mention? Uh well, one of the things I mean, I'm not a person who uh notices whether or not the special effects are all that good. But one of the things I, I did notice was there seemed to be, and this could be uh, someone can check the actual footage and see if it's true or not, but there seemed to be a lot more aliens just kind of milling about in this movie yeah. than in the previous mm-hmm. two, which I really liked because you always feel like, you know, there are budgets and things, so you can't have that many great aliens. But it always felt like there are humans all over the place, and then you've got someone who looks kind of like a human but he has a bump on his nose and there's your alien uh this one they are actually aliens kind of well not actually but they're representations of aliens in this fictional universe uh that are just kind of there uh at, at one of my favorite moments in in the movie is when kirk is off to separate the saucer and he sees an ensign and he's like i need your help and you think oh he's gonna she's gonna help him you know, with uh, the the separating the separation of the, uh, of the saucer, saucer. yeah. Uh, but then she disappears, and you're like, "What happened there?" And then it gets paid <laughs> once again. Uh, you know, Jason, it gets paid off later when she uh, is opens her head. For, yes, opens her head, and <laughs> out comes the part of the, the MacGuffin, the, the Tatsutat or whatever it is. Yeah, yes. and then she's she's disintegrated with it as a thank you. Yes. Yeah, she was kind of dumb. I mean, I yeah. like I liked her uh, her aesthetic, dumb. but. Uh, but really, I don't. I don't see why she gave up so quickly. Like you know, people are going to die. Why not? Just because he's one of our main characters, she decides. <laughs> oh, I have to save him. Yes, but uh, overall, I say thumbs up to having lots of aliens everywhere because it makes <laughs> me feel like Star Trek has yeah. a budget. <laughs> I I loved all the the grace notes and references and in jokes that you know Peg being a fan is going to put in there, right? Um, Right down to McCoy wearing a medallion at the very end. Like, you want to go back out there? Ah, let's go back out there. That was a nice touch. And and he he yes. admitted on Twitter that yes, that was intentionally the the you know McCoy showing up in the motion picture with a medallion. It's like yep. <laughs> and when he they say you know whatever happened to the Franklin? Were there rumors that it encountered a giant green hand in space? Yes, <laughs> I I I was the only person who laughed in the room, which was in the credits. Yeah, like during the closing credits. credit sequence, there's a there's a little you can see like just the the side of a giant green hand, and I was like, mm-hmm. hey, look at that. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of, a lot of little bits, a lot of movie things. Like I said, I felt like I was reminded of. Uh, many Star Trek movies, good and bad, uh, mm-hmm. in the little bits that they took that I, I felt were, um, you know, kind of intentional. Like the dune buggies in oh, yeah. Nemesis is mm-hmm. echoed by the by the motorcycle, and we've got the Enterprise blowing up, that, which is in all the practically all the Star Trek movies. But mm-hmm. you've got Kirk's uh, Kirk's whole thing with his his birthday bothering him and him thinking about being an admiral. That's a that's a callback. I had I had those uh, insurrection feelings about uh, about crawl. Um, but, you know, I, I, a bunch of different Star Trek movies kind of rem- it all and it, and it episodes was, yeah. too. And I saw a lot of echoes to episodes. Uh, Yeah. So, you know, in the end, I want to see it again. Um, I didn't I didn't dislike it. I just found it. I found it kind of flawed and I, i'm disappointed i guess that the plot didn't make more sense that the idris elba wasn't better used um i felt like you know the plot was engineered to get us a moment of surprise about his 
origin that it didn't really earn and that made him actually like much worse of a villain because his story was (laughs) too truncated and uh, obfuscated and uh, it's too bad. (laughs) Uh, uh, He could have been a straightforward alien or a straightforward angry human and it would have been fine, but instead he's like a magic trick um, and it's not as good that way. So, you know, it's just bits of it that I, 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 that disappoint me, but it's not a bad movie. I would say, I think it's a good, Mm -hmm. I think it's a good movie by the standards of Star Trek too, as we've done on several episodes, there have been some really bad Star Trek movies. And this isn't one of those. I just was hoping, I think for more than I, than I got. And I have to sort of take my pleasure in the parts of it that I do like, which is the character bits and some of the visuals and, and a few Mm -hmm. of the specific scenes. There, there are a lot of scenes that could have been better lit. Oh, it's so dark. It's I mean, I so saw it 3D, dark. I saw it in a three D showing, and that makes it even darker. Um, yeah. and, and and like the scenes, the fight scenes on the Enterprise, I couldn't even. It wasn't even oh, the camera geez. movements. I couldn't see what was happening. It was so dark. And uh, yeah, I, 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 and I don't know. I hope that that would look better in a two D screening, but mm. maybe not. It, it was just not. What <laughs> I, I had, I just had moments in the in the Enterprise. Uh, uh, boarding scenes where I, I thought to myself, I have no idea what the hell is going on now because um, mm-hmm. I can't see anything. When when they go back to the saucer, it's the same thing. It's, you know, <laughs> it's dark and then the saucer flips and you go, oh, okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I think overall for, for me, I I would say maybe like roughly a quarter of the film, and I don't mean this chronologically, I mean of everything put together. I, I think I, I actually disliked about a quarter of it. There was a quarter of it that I thought was just kind of meh. There was a quarter that I sort of liked, and then there was a quarter that I really did like. So, I mean, on the in, on the whole, it ends up being positive, but it was really kind of a wide split. There were, there were peaks and valleys that were, that were sharper than I had hoped going in. Scott's quite a journey. Uh, I... I enjoyed the movie. It's not perfect, obviously. Uh, it's Star Trek, though. I'm always excited to see Star yes. Trek, no matter what its form is. Uh, and I think that they, I mean, the cast is great. Yeah. And so that, the, and they, I feel like they, uh, even in 2009, I felt like they were kind of clicking into the char- the characters that they were playing pretty well. And now yes. they're doing even better than they were before. So it's just fun. And that's why I like Star Trek is because the characters interact with each other. So the rest of it is just kind of fun for me. So that if I enjoy the character interactions and I feel like the characters are acting the way that I think they would in these situations, I'm happy. Uh, and in some Star <laughs> Trek movies, you don't get that. Uh, so yeah. I think this one hit that base for me. So uh, kudos to them for that. You know, I, I wonder how much of it is the weight of being the 50th anniversary of the show, right? How 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 much weight did they feel they had to uh, put into all of these references and all of these, you know, because it, I, I had the same feeling with uh, Spectre, the, the Bond film, where it's like, here's a Bond reference and here's a Bond reference and they forgot to actually make a good movie. And, and this I thought was better than Spectre, but, uh, you know, would, would it have been, would they have had more freedom to craft the script more they i know they wrote the script very quickly too i don't know i I feel like maybe this is the pressure that simon Pegg felt as a as a fan to do right by the franchise right that too yeah like i said i i think it was fine i the things that i liked about it i really really liked um and and i mean yeah it's five days out since i saw it um i i changed on into darkness about two weeks after i saw it but I think I will wind up watching this more than certainly more than Into Darkness, maybe even more than the 2009 one. I don't know. Hmm. 
We'll see. But I, it's just those the interactions were so good for me. Well, the the other thing I thought when I left the theater was, you know what the next new Star Trek is? It's a TV show That's coming right. in January. That's true. Not <laughs> available on your TV. It, no, it was. <laughs> if you're on my in Apple the rest TV. of the world, you can get it on Netflix. If you're in Canada, yes. you can watch it on Space. And if you're in the U.S., you'll get to watch the pilot on CBS, and then you'll need to pay for CBS All Access. But, you know, the upside to that is that CBS All Access also includes all of the Star Trek series as well, so yeah. you can watch all the Star Trek that you want. And I think, I, I so that, that was going to be my last uh, topic before we go. Uh, thinking about the Star Trek Discovery is now the, the name of it. And, and mm. I was thinking about about where where the Star Trek franchise goes. And the box office for Star Trek Beyond has been okay. It's not great, and it's not as good as the first two movies, but it, it, that, it's still pretty good. Um, and inter- they're hoping for it to do well internationally because these, these, uh, these three Star Trek movies have all been released internationally, and the first two did very well internationally, much better than any Star Trek movies previously. So, you know, let's, let's just assume it's going to do fine, and they're going to make a fourth movie. Um, okay, great. I think about where this franchise goes. I think about like, do they want to Marvelize it right and have more movies that are not just about this cast, but are other movies set in the Star Trek universe? Do what path do they want to go down? And I had a moment of almost a, a, like an epiphany where I realized the problem is first off, I'm not sure enough people love Star Trek for it to be a Star Wars style movie franchise. As much as I love Star Trek, I'm not sure that there are enough people and there's enough money for them to to make a machine to release Star Trek movies every every year. But there's the bigger picture, and we've talked about it in past uh, incomparable episodes, is Star Trek's not a movie franchise, you know? It's just not. Mm-hmm. It's all its strength is in TV. And although you can make these movies, and if they make more, that's great. I'll pay to see them. In the end, I think what's, what's behind people's... Um, uh, you know, lack of enthusiasm for uh, oh, it's another sci-fi action movie is just the fact that uh, what a lot of people want out of Star Trek is not something a movie franchise can give them because Star Trek is not a movie franchise; it's a TV series with some spin-off movies. So I had that moment coming out of the theater, which is these movies are nice. I hope they make more of them, but at the same time, I really am more excited about it coming back to TV because I think that's what Star Trek is, and I think that's Star Trek's like ideal form that's what it's best at and these things are fun but even the original series movies right uh it's kind of it's not what it's it's not what star trek's good at it's it's not its best destiny to (laughs) put it in captain's terms yeah you know they made the right choice in recasting and the way they were able to create a second universe of star trek for the movies because i think to the bulk of the world star trek is kirk and spock and mccoy and sure. these other people who hang out with them. And that's fine. I, you know, I love them. But I think, you know, part of part of why we fell in love with it was because we saw it every day in syndication when we were kids. And, and the generation after us got Next Generation and Deep Space Nine and Voyager and got to see those every week and then every day. And for, you know, I watch my kids it's it's a presence in their lives because i like star trek it's not because they're watching tv it's not because there's a lot of choice on tv you know like you have you have to physically make the choice to watch stuff right the stuff that's just you know if you just turn on the tv it's probably going to be friends or seinfeld or the big bang theory and reality shows 
So you have to actively choose to watch something. It's great that you can. It's great that it's all there on Netflix and CBS Access and all that stuff. But it doesn't have the same presence for them. You know, and, and even Star Wars, Star Wars is omnipresent because of Disney, because of, you know, the same thing with Marvel. It's just everywhere. And you go to the mall and there's the store and you go here and you go. And, and I mean, they were asking me, where are the Star Trek toys? I said, well, they're in the specialty shops because nobody's making them for this movie. Right. It's all the older stuff. Okay. It's all, you know, it, it's like it's just not there. But if it's a new TV show and if it's actively like, hey, here's a thing, here's a new thing next week, here's another one. The excitement, you know, the 11 year old walked out Friday night and said, when's the next one? I, that was amazing. I want to see more. Well, you're going to have to wait about three or four years. Now we get to see something that's going to be a little brainier and tie into the whole universe of 600 and however many episodes of shows we've got. And it's going to be on every week for a couple of weeks. I like that. I'm a little excited. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I agree with one of the things you said early on there. And that's just talking about the characters. Because when I think about the parts of this movie that I like the most... As I said before, it was really the character parts. And for me, the platonic ideal of Star Trek is absolutely a TV show. And that's in part because you get a chance to, like you said, with all, it's not just the repetition, but it's the fact that you get to spend more time with these people and you get to know them. And I think the only reason that we are feeling so warm and fuzzy with these characters in the movies is because we knew the prototype characters in the show back in the day. I, I, I I do not think that I would have the same, the same feels about those pairings on this movie. If I hadn't seen what went before, I actually have a friend who had not seen any of the star Trek movies previously, none. uh, And I don't even know if she'd ever seen the show. And she went to this movie and was not particularly impressed by it. And I can't say I blame her because there's the the roots of this movie go back so so deeply and it's because of the tv show so i i'm looking forward to a, a new crew a new type of star trek on television that will have a chance to to let those characters breathe and we'll get to see them do more than just one thing every couple of years you know i wish i wish the economics of uh entertainment were such that we could watch even you know six or eight hours of these characters doing Mm -hmm. episodes right because i think they would be very good at it but they also it would never they would not be able to afford them right it's it's prohibitively expensive tv tv and movies are getting closer together and we may we may reach that point but uh that's the unfortunate thing is that you can't it's such a great cast but you can't get them together for a tv show you can only get them together every three or four years for one movie and uh that's too bad but that's the power of of tv is they're going to cast a cast for star trek discovery and those people are going to be together for at least that you know 10 hours or 13 hours or whatever they do season and uh hopefully for more after that so um yeah star trek so scott do you do you you gasped when i said star trek isn't a movie (gasps) franchise but uh what do you what do you what do you think i'm calling you on your gasp (laughs) well technically i have to be that guy it is in fact a movie franchise but uh you know i agree with you that it is far better suited as a television show because as eric was saying you can have i just watched an episode of deep space nine for a random trek that focused on esri dax for some unknown reason 
but a whole hour <laughs> of her going off and visiting her family. And you wouldn't, that totally would not be, if they did a Deep Space Nine season seven movie or season eight, I guess, movie, you totally wouldn't have an 45 minutes of that movie devoted to Esri Dax just going <laughs> off and chilling with her family. But when you have whatever, 24 episodes in a season, you can do that because uh, you need to fill a lot of time, basically. Uh, but you also get to see more of the character, and it develops, and, and so it's great. Uh, so I am very excited for the TV show to come up. I'm not excited for the inevitable articles from Star Trek fans that will tell me how this Star Trek isn't real Star Trek, and oh, yeah. it doesn't hew to the Roddenberry wishes and yeah. uh, all this stuff. And there's, you know, there's too much of this and not enough of that, or whatever. There are uh, always fans who are ready to tell other fans that they're fanning it wrong. And as we've said yes. before on this very podcast, those people are bad people because <laughs> nobody gets to tell other people I, what they like. Exactly. I think it's and like I said earlier, I think it's fine if you 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 don't like something, that's cool, but uh you know, nobody is the arbiter of what makes something something. Uh even the person who creates it is not the arbiter of that. So once you so release it into the public, uh you you lose all of that control. So but well, you know, going back to talking about episodes, Thinking back on on our favorite Star Trek stories, you know, across all of the media, um, what are what are the best episodes? You know, the Inner Light. You're never going to get a big screen movie that tells the story of the Inner Light. That's a great story. Never going to happen in a big movie, right? Mm -hmm. um, City on the Edge of Forever, The Visitor. No, but it's it's got to be big. Yeah, a big movie has to be what it has to be. Yeah. Yep. And, and, and so basically what you're getting is you're getting the action sequence of a story and that's all you get because there aren't other uh, in a uh, in a, a TV season. You can have all of those different the ebb and flow and the different kinds of yeah. stories being told. Mm -hmm. But in a in a blockbuster movie, I mean, the Marvel movies had the same issue, which is I liked Civil War um, because for many reasons uh, that are similar to Star Trek Beyond, they, they spent they did some character stuff and they're paying off character things from previous movies. But in the end, it's a, you know, there's a maximum amount of time you can spend on one of these movies, two, two and a half hours or whatever, and you gotta, you gotta deliver because it's a giant blockbuster movie, not yes. a quirky episode of a TV show. And that's just how the economics work. Again, if you want to pay Chris Pine and Zach Quinto and, <laughs> and Zoe Saldana and, you know, and, and Carl Urban and everybody else, if you want to pay all those people, the stuff's gotta blow up. It's just how yes, it is. And a lot of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Frequently. And the and they have to fight something. Yeah. Although I do wish, and, and this is something that Jason, that you said that I, I wish they could, uh, the next movie perhaps not have some kind of central villain. A madman bent on uh, revenge. Because yeah. each one so far has done that. Maybe something yeah. different. Uh, somebody else could be up to no good uh, or, I got or something. It. How about a planet-wide uh, computer that controls <gasps> a culture? <laughs> and Captain Kirk can like talk, to, talk it into blowing I, itself I, up. I hope that the first little mini episode of the next movie is that. <laughs> that <laughs> would that be, be great? great. Oh my <laughs> yeah. god, yeah. I I think the next one is going to be traveling through time to save Kirk's father because we can't we can't let go of JJ's mystery box full of daddy issues. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Mm. We'll see. I know they've announced that the, they're going to do a movie and that Chris Hemsworth is going to be in it somehow as Kirk's yeah. father, but um well, and we'll it's, it's supposed to be written by the two guys who were supposed to be writing this one, and then 
that got scrapped. So it's like, well, maybe that'll get scrapped too. Yeah, that's that's my thought, is that what yeah. movie will Simon Pegg write when the first screenplay turns out to be terrible <laughs> and they have to bring Simon Pegg back? I'd be okay with Simon Pegg coming back to write because I, I do think that he, it's very, very clear that he cares about these characters. That if, yes. you yeah. know, it, I may have had trouble with the action sequences and some of the plot stuff, but but he he's a fan and he cares and that, that goes a long mm-hmm. way. It's what I said about uh, Ghostbusters last week, which is I could feel the love for mm-hmm. the franchise yeah. by the creators while I watched the movie. Like, there is no doubt about it that the people who wrote this this movie care about Star Trek, just in the same way that the people who wrote Ghostbusters knew Ghostbusters, the original, backward and forward. You can feel it, and I love that about it. All right, I think we've reached the end of our talk we, we've gone beyond. We're beyond. <laughs> well, that's the other question. What were they going beyond in that movie? I don't understand. Uh, they were going, they were going beyond, beyond the, the nebula. nebula. Yeah. Oh, beyond Unexplained, the nebula. Unexplored space. It, it is. So nebula, by the way, nebulas don't work like that. That's like saying we're going to travel beyond that cloud over there. It's like it's just a cloud. You go around it. There's lots of ways to go around it. But it's, but it's an unstable nebula. Yeah. Well, in Star Trek, nebulas are not like they are in reality. I, I just, just like you've got to go with that. Nebulas are like, uh, you got to think it's like the it's like the old west. A nebula is like a desert. We just don't know what's on the other side of it. And that's just, just go get with the metaphor. Um, but yes, they went beyond the nebula. Just like in the Star Trek Insurrection, where there's an unstable nebula, right? Oh, yeah. They go beyond the briar patch. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, at least uh, Spock wasn't, like, getting a shave from Uhura in the bathtub in this one. Boy, imagine. Oh, they, why they, must they you bring that, that up? <laughs> they cut Jason. that out. Bad Jason. Bad Glenn. Jason. <laughs> okay. Uh. Okay. Before I do more damage, I'm going to thank my panel. Uh, David Lore, thank you for going beyond. Uh, anytime. I'm going to go listen to some classical music now. Okay. Erica, thank you for going above and beyond. <laughs> thank you. You know, it, it may be a tracking device, but I kind of want one of those cute little necklaces. Oh. <laughs> and Scott McNulty, uh, you went above and beyond, but it is your call of duty as a Star Trek fan. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that's it for this episode of The Incomparable. And if we don't talk to you before then, we'll at the very least uh, be back with another Star Trek episode when Star Trek Discovery appears in January 2017. Uh, But until next week on The Incomparable, I've been your host, Jason Snell. Goodbye, everybody. Live long and prosper. Yeah, we'll say that. Yeah. Yeah.